Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. You will please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. For the past couple of weeks, we've been looking into the topic of prayer, and we studied the prayer of a successful man, King David, and we learned from King David that the prayer God answers resonates with humility, it recognizes God's character, and it recites God's plan back to him, the one that God has given to us. We also talked about unanswered prayer and the things that we need to be asking ourselves as we experience unanswered prayer. Number one, does God care? Yes. Number two, am I being obedient? Maybe. Number three, am I praying according to God's will? Well, walk in the Spirit and search the Scriptures, and you probably will be. Number four, is my timing in sync with God's timing? Keep praying, only time will tell. We can't tell from our side of that dark mirror, as Paul talked about it. And then finally, is my idea of an answer the same as God's? Not usually. But sometimes, sometimes, we need to think big. We need to pray boldly. We need to pray the prayer of faith. It occurred to me over the last couple of weeks that if we stop with unanswered prayer, we will have stopped too soon. We need to, all those things that we studied are important. We need to know those things. It's important to have that groundwork laid, but we also need to be bold in prayer. So I want to start with an example this morning from March of 2011. 1,000 staff and friends of International Justice Mission gathered in a Washington, D.C. hotel ballroom for a weekend of prayer for IJM's most urgent needs. Now, IJM, International Justice Mission, is a Christian organization that works to rescue victims of slavery and sexual exploitation, sexual trafficking all over the world. So this group of a thousand people spent an agonizing, energizing night praying specifically for the end of bonded labor in countries where it persists, countries like India. And it seemed like, they said, an audacious and impossible thing for us to pray. And it was. Because when you're praying about the end of bonded labor, you are praying for nothing less than an institutional revolution. We need to be praying prayers like this, like Scott mentioned, for all these people that are being trafficked over the southern southern border of the United States right now. The traffickers are making tons and tons of money and people are being sold into indentured bonded slavery here in this country right now. We need to be praying against that, but that's a rabbit trail. And so everyone in the room that night dared to ask God that bonded labor might be eradicated. The Spirit, they say, came through with extraordinary power, pouring out on that group of believers the willingness to get this now, ask something none of them could possibly bring about with their own resources or power. Ask God for something none of them could possibly bring about with their own resources or power. That was in March of 2011. 
In April of 2011, IJM heard this news. In a village near Chennai, India, a local official organized a raid against a brick kiln where 143 families, a total of 522 people, had been kept as slaves. Police, under his direction, freed the laborers, commandeered a local high school to provide them with health care, and arrested one, the owner of the brick kiln. On that day, hundreds of men, women, and children who had been robbed of their God-given dignity had been set free. Now, is it only a coincidence that four weeks after they prayed, this local official, who had not acted with courage before, dared to set free 522 slaves? I like what Nicky Gumbel said when he was talking about prayer in the Alpha Course. He does a, a wonderful job of this. And he said, you know, so many of the things that I pray about, people will just tell me that these answers, well, Nikki, this are just coincidences. And he said, but I pray all the time. And the more I pray, the more coincidences I see. That's, and that's, that's key, guys. Remember last week or the week before, I mentioned when you're praying, you've got to be praying and watching. Jesus said, pray and watch. Paul's going to, I'm going to refer to a verse later on where it says, Paul says, pray in the spirit and be alert. The answers to our prayers hardly ever come the way that we think that they're going to come, but they come. So the point of this is we need to be willing to ask audacious, outrageous things in prayer and expect God to answer. We need to know how to pray big, pray the prayer of faith and trust God for the impossible. We need to ask for things that seem or are impossible to do within our own capacities, within our own strength. So here's the text, Matthew 17, beginning in verse 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before them. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Look at Jesus' response. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of the boy. He was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, if you're like me, you're uncomfortable with that verse. And if you're uncomfortable with that verse, you're uncomfortable with the other places that it appears, or similar verses like it, appear in the Gospels. Another one is Matthew 21 21 through 22, Jesus has just cursed the fig tree on his way into Jerusalem because it didn't have any fruit on it. And the disciples are saying, how does that happen? Jesus said almost the same thing. I truly, truly, I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, was he talking in hyperbole there about the mountain? Maybe, but the point is still the same. Believe me, ask for impossible things. 
And then in Mark chapter 11, verses 22 through 24, have faith in God, Jesus said. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, he likes this mountain metaphor. If anyone says to this mountain, because why? Because it seems impossible. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. The Apostle Paul talks about the prayer of faith that will move mountains in 1 Corinthians 13 too. He says love is greater, but he still mentions it. In James 5.17, he mentions faith like Elijah, praying for things that God, where God does the impossible. So having said that, there are some things that we need to learn, and there are some things that we need to unlearn about praying the prayer of faith. So I've, the, my framework for our talk today is we need to pray, pray big. And big means bold, informed, and God-centered. We need to pray bold prayers, informed prayers, and God-centered prayers. So let me see if I can develop that for us. Number one, boldness means willing. we are willing to ask for impossible things. Let me give you another, another example. In 2010, a group of eight people from two churches, get this, felt called to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento. It was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods in all of Sacramento, California. Each house in that neighborhood was a place of danger. Nevertheless, this group of eight decided to walk through the neighborhood, praying over each home and praying for the presence of Christ to reign over violence, addiction, and satanic oppression. They, aren't, they began walking through the neighborhood, praying over each home and rebuking the demonic strongholds of addiction and violence. Now, they're not worried about what this looks like. I've had opportunities in situations where I've thought, I think that we should go do something like this. And you know I've not led us as a church to do this. You know why? Because it's like, what if nothing happens? Won't we look stupid? What will people say? They weren't worried. They felt called. They did it because they felt called. One of the eight people was a former Sacramento police officer and a gang detective. His name was Michael Young. I think I'm pronouncing that right, or Zyong. And he said, each time we prayed over the houses, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter. A woman from one of the houses confronted them. When she discovered they were praying for the community, she asked for healing, and God healed her. The group physically moved into the neighborhood and started something they called Detroit Life Church. A couple of years later, a local newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, reported that there were no homicides, no robberies, and no sex crimes, and only one assault in Detroit Boulevard between 2013 and 2014. Detroit Boulevard had been transformed. So let's make, let's make two observations about that. First, we need to learn something. Bold faith is willing to act on unseen truth. Go back to verse 20. 
Jesus said, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there. Can you give me a picture of faith? I mean, can, can you show me how it works with God? I can't. I mean, I'm going to give you an illustration here, but it's just an illustration. Bold faith is willing to act on unseen truth. What's the unseen truth? If you believe me, things will happen. Big faith, even faith as small as a mustard seed then, is a power conductor of enormous capacity. If the power of God could be likened to electricity, your faith is like the wires that come from the telephone pole into your home. Now, the electrical wires in your, in your home are, are small compared to all that they can do. I hooked up an extension cord a few months ago out in my garage, and it happened to have some condensation or some water in the plug, and it went, and it didn't shock me, thank goodness. It could have hurt me very badly, but when it was done, there was nothing left of the plug. I had to cut the plugs off both ends and redo the plugs. That's nothing compared to what that just 120 volts can do. I have a 200 amp service in my house. The wire that comes in from the street is only about two inches in diameter. And I'm really glad we have that wire. It does a lot of really important things like air conditioning and dinner and things like that. But what it's connected to is what really matters. What's connected to is what really matters. If all the power available on the other end of that wire, and let's just say that we hooked up to Clover Power Station, which I think has 900 megawatts, is that right? 900 megawatts when it's going full bore. If, if all that 900 megawatts came through my wire, it would blow my house up. It would blow it off the block. Faith opens the door between heaven and earth, creating a path for the power of heaven to travel to the needs of earth. God doesn't need the path. Does lightning need a wire to hit the planet? No, God doesn't need the path. God has chosen for us to be the path, and He chooses to use our faith to bring His power to bear on the needs of earth. So pray bold. Big faith is bold. So we need to learn that big faith is bold. You got that? That's just the big picture. Big faith is bold. We need to learn that. But we also need to unlearn something that we've heard about this kind of faith. Bold faith does not multiply force. You are not a force multiplier. Nothing about you is a force multiplier. This is not about name it and claim it. Big faith does not multiply force. You have no spiritual force of your own that is able to remove demons or mountains because it isn't faith in faith. That, uh, that's the popular notion, which is really only faith in yourself. Having faith in yourself, now having faith, or maybe I should say confidence in your abilities and the gifts that God has given you and your strengths and your dreams, that's not a bad thing. It's just that this is not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about faith and faith. He's not talking about, gee, go out there and think whatever you want to think and do whatever you want to do and name it and claim it and it's going to be yours. That's not what he's talking about. 
Let me give us a definition, and this is one that I just wrote myself. Faith is the conduit through which the power of God flows to accomplish the purposes of God for the people of God in the providential timing of God. Is that enough peace for you? It is confident enough to ask God for big things knowing that he's able to do it. It is also confident enough in God's grace to ask even if we're wrong and know that he won't be upset with us if we ask him. See, I think sometimes we're worried about this. It's like, oh, I'm not supposed to ask for big stuff. Ask. Ask him. He, he's encouraged by that. Jesus said, oh, look what, how his, what his response was when they, when they couldn't cast the demon out. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. He's frustrated with these guys because they haven't learned to believe yet. So the prayer of faith is bold. It is willing to ask for impossible things. It's willing to ask for impossible things. Second, big faith is informed. The prayer of faith is informed. It's well informed. It's not about the thing we request. It's about who's answering the request. So we don't get ourselves all zeroed in on this Lord, I want this to happen, and whatever it is, call, I need a Cadillac or whatever, you know. Um, in, in my case, it's a Mooney M20J, okay? It's not getting focused in on one of those and saying, I'm just, if I can believe really, really big, this is what's going to happen. That, that is so far removed from what Jesus is talking about and what the Bible is talking about. Big faith is focused on God. If you have faith... That small. The mustard seed was the smallest seed that these guys would typically use. It's not the smallest seed in the world, but it's the smallest one that they used. He said, if your faith is only that big and it's focused in the right place, you can move mountains. It's focused on who's doing the answering. Remember the story of Jesus and the, uh, Peter in the boat and the disciples. It's storming. Jesus comes walking across the water. They're all freaked out. Peter says, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Jesus said, it's me. Come on. Then he stops looking at Jesus. What happens? He focuses on himself. He focuses on the waves. He focuses on the storm. He stops looking at Jesus. Jesus is the whole point of this. Then Jesus plucks him out of the water and said, so what does he say again? Oh, you of little faith. And then they all get to the boat and they worshiped him. And finally they get it. You think truly you are the son of God. That's what they say. Now we know. Now we're informed. So we need to unlearn something. Faith is measured not by the depth of our ignorance or the height of our presumptions, or the extent of our emotions. It is not a leap in the dark. It is not taking thoughtless risks and expecting God to cover you. And it has nothing to do with how you are feeling in the moment. We need to unlearn all of that stuff. That's not what it is. What it is, we need to learn this. Big faith is measured by our apprehension of the power and our submission to the authority of Jesus Christ. That's big faith. 
It is our apprehension of his power and our submission to his authority. It's knowing that the person that you are praying to is able and that this is his purpose for you. Best example in the whole New Testament, I think, is Matthew 8, 8 through 10, the faith of the centurion. He, he says, my servant's really sick. I wish you would pray for him and, and heal him. Jesus says, oh, I'll come to your house. And the centurion says, no, don't do that. I'm not worthy. And this is what he says. Only say the word and my servant will be healed for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, he goes, and another, come, he comes. And to my servant, do this, he does it. What is he doing? He has apprehended the power of and he is submitting to the authority to to Jesus Christ. He knows who this guy is. He knows how much power he has. He knows he doesn't have to have him come under his roof to do this. He's praying. He's informed. And what's Jesus say about this guy? Oh, it's the best, it's the best thing I've ever seen. I've never seen anybody in Israel like this. So it's informed about because it knows who we're praying to, his power and his authority. But then there's this other side of it. And this is just, I'm just going to tell you guys, this is an accumulation that's happened with me over the years as I've read through the scriptures and as also as I've been through the Alpha Course, heard Nikki talk about this, read through many other stories like the ones I've already shared with you. The prayer of faith is informed by the Spirit. The prayer of faith is informed by the Spirit. Acts 14, verses 8 through 10. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him and saw that he had faith to be healed. Now, how do you see that? That's invisible. Only the Holy Spirit can give you that kind of sight, right? He saw that he had faith to be healed. He said, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is going out into the desert to be tempted. Why did he go out in the desert to be tempted? Did he just say, oh, I'm just going to go out in the desert and be tempted one day? No, it said the Spirit compelled him. If you dig down into the Greek on that, the picture is of like a strong wind blowing a ship and a ship just running before the wind. It has to go that way or it's going to crash. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul is compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, verse 29. The Spirit guides Philip. The Spirit wants Philip to go up and attach himself to this Ethiopian eunuch's chariot. How does Philip know that? I don't know. How does Paul know that this guy has faith to be healed? I don't know. Do you? It's not something you can see. But he knew. Paul was a man who walked in the Spirit, so he knew. Philip, if you go back into Acts, it says, Philip, full of the Holy Spirit. This guy did amazing things. He's full of the Holy Spirit. He's being led by the Spirit. So I looked and looked, and it didn't take long. I found an example. I have some examples from my life, but not many. I've shared most of all of them with you over 24 years, and I don't want to bore you. So Pastor Lee Eklov 
tells a story about a woman named Dill Rummel was in the church where he pastored. She said he told him this story. A colleague of hers was hospitalized for 10 weeks. Her name was Colleen. She'd broken her back in two places. Despite the doctor's efforts, her back was not healing. She was very busy, but she knew God wanted her to visit Colleen. She knew. In fact, she felt, she knew, she felt, you can't, this, you can't, this is not visible. God wanted her to lay hands on Colleen and pray for healing, something that was pretty out there for Dill at the time. I'm sitting here looking at Scott. Several years ago, it was a major crisis in my life. Nobody knew anything about it. Scott is cruising through town in his car, and the Lord just says, go visit with Dane. He walks in here, he says, the Lord just said, you know, I think I ought to come in here and pray for you. And I was like, you have no idea. How does he know that? He walks in the Spirit. Anyway, so Colleen, she says, this is out there. You know, Dill says, this is out there for, for her at the time. She goes. She finally gets around to going to the hospital. She and Colleen chatted for a while about real estate, about everybody that they knew. You know how when you want, God wants you to do something that's difficult, you procrastinate? And finally, she gets up the courage to say, would you like me to lay hands on you and pray for you? Yes. And Dill says, I did not feel warmth dribbling down through me or anything, but I did what God wanted me to do. He never does things the same way twice. Remember, Nicky Gumbel in the Alpha Course talks about the various way God has done healing and through the Alpha Course. It's hardly ever the same way all the, at the different times. I did what God wanted me to do. About three weeks later, the doorbell rang, and there was Colleen standing on Dill's front porch. She said, the day after Dill visited the hospital and prayed for Colleen, the doctor sent her Colleen to the lab for x-rays. They showed where the two breaks had been, but they were completely healed. Colleen eventually started coming to Dill's Bible study. One day, they're talking about that famous painting of Jesus knocking on the heart's door, and Dill explains that the artist didn't put a handle on the outside of the door because the handle's on the inside of our heart. We have to open it to Jesus. And Colleen says, Lord, I guess if you're out there, I can open that door. I want you to come in. In Ephesians 6, verse 18, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the saints. If I had more time, and if I had listed them down for my really bad memory, I could tell you tons of stories like this. And so here, I'm going to say something that kind of goes beyond, uh, I, I can't really explain why, the whys and the wherefores of all this. We are called on to pray big, bold prayers no matter what. Jesus said right before the cross, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. I suppose that's okay, but that's the only time that ever happens. I don't ever see that happening in the New Testament again. 
So here's what I'm encouraging. If you're going to pray for somebody to get, get well, just pray for them to get well. If you're going to pray for something big, just pray big. Just trust God. But there are going to be times, and, and don't worry about the outcome, but there are going to be times when the Holy Spirit just moves you and says, go do this. Go pray for that person. You got you eight people. It didn't take the whole church. You eight people, go walk around Detroit Avenue and pray for that neighborhood. This church, pray for this. He might not, he's probably not ever going to do that exact same thing, that exact same way. But if the Spirit is moving you to pray for a specific thing or a specific person in a specific way, pray it, baby. Just pray it. And watch for what he does. I've been, we've all been praying for my mom for like eight months. That's great. We need to keep praying for mom. She's not getting any better, as far as we know. She may tomorrow. Pray anyway. But if the Spirit moves you in a particular way to take some bold step, go there. Don't be afraid. I can't believe I just said that, and I'm going to leave in three weeks. Please don't take this out of the context of my whole life and ministry here. I'm just trying to encourage us all to say, I'm willing to trust you for big stuff, God. So what we need to learn is that informed means you pray the prayer of faith when you're walking in the Spirit so that you're alert to the possibilities and the opportunities to minister wherever you are. That's what you're doing. You're just praying in the Spirit so that you're alert. And if the Spirit goes... Dill, I know you've never done this before, but go and visit your friend Colleen in the hospital and lay hands on her and pray for her back. Take the risk. So you pray the prayer of faith when you're praying boldly. You pray the prayer of faith when you're praying informed. And then finally, you pray the prayer of faith when you are God-centered. And God-centered prayer risks failure and embarrassment. Me-centered prayer worries about failure and embarrassment. God-centered prayer Trust a God who is bigger and more important than my ego or my safety. Everybody knows the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. In 1 Kings 17 and 18, Elijah risks everything he's called for this confrontation with the prophets of Baal. Let's look back there in 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. And let's, so verse 22 and following. Elijah has a confrontation with these guys. He said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of the Lord your God, or, or on, on your God, little g, and I will call on the name of the Lord, Yahweh God. 
The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls, prepare it first. Since there's so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they, lit, they took the bull that they gave them and they prepared it. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us. No response. They danced around the altar that they had made. No response. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he's a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy, busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he just woke up. So they shouted louder. And so this is where they worked themselves into a frenzy. Remember we talked about that? They worked themselves into a frenzy. They slashed themselves with knives. They slashed themselves with spears and swords until their blood flowed. We are not called to work ourselves into a frenzy. That's not what faith is. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. And they came and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. And Elijah took 12 stones, once for each of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, enough to hold two seahs of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. And then he said to them, Fill it with four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood, all of it. What's he doing? It's going to be absolutely impossible if, if God doesn't do this. No way can Elijah pull this off by some sleight of hand. Soak it with water. Do it again. Do it a third time. And the water ran down the altar and even filled the trench. And at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward. Listen very carefully to what he says. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. That's the point. Let them everybody know who this is. It's not about Elijah. It's not about the prayer. It's not about dancing or cutting yourself or anything like that. Who's God? Peter in the water. Who's God? Praying about the demons. Who's God? Second, let them know that I'm your servant and have done all these things at your command. Elijah didn't just cook up this confrontation on his own. He was directed by God into this moment. Are we supposed to cook up confrontations with the world on our own? No. You better be directed by God if you're going to take on the prophets of Baal on the top of Mount Carmel. Answer me, O Lord, answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Me-centered prayer is worried about failure. Me-centered prayer is worried about death, <laughs> embarrassment. God-centered prayer is not worried about any of that stuff. So I was thinking about this for several days this week and thinking God you know what when did I ever do this 
I don't remember ever doing this. My wife might. She's got a better memory. <laughs> but I don't remember really ever doing this. Maybe it's because I've never been led up until now. So I kept looking. I said, Lord, I've got to find the... I got to find just the right illustration. So I found one from Francis Chan. I don't follow Francis Chan, but I know he's a very well respected and very popular preacher, young guy. That's what I call 40 year olds, young guys. <laughs> He said, I was with my oldest daughter at a Christian concert, and she just released her first CD, so she's doing a tour. I'm following around. I'm speaking afterward. We're in Detroit. I'm getting ready to speak. She's singing and leading worship. I'm backstage on my knees, and I'm praying this prayer. God, would you have something happen as I speak? I mean, I'm thinking about 1 Kings 18, Elijah on Mount Carmel. God, I want to see the prophets of Baal are dancing, and I want, I want you to show everybody who you are, God. Fire coming down from heaven, the Lord's God. And everyone left talking about God, not Elijah. Lord, that's what I want. Francis Chan is praying this. And then he's praying about Acts 4. He said, Lord, Acts 4 talks about how believers prayed and everything starts shaking. He said, so I'm backstage and I'm on my knees and I'm praying. And I was like, Lord, I want that to happen. I want you to come in and shake this place. And you and I are thinking, great, right? Awesome. Great way to pray. He said, so I'm praying and I'm asking God for this so many times because I want people to talk about you and your power, God. I don't want them to talk about me or a band or my daughter. I want them to talk about you because only you can make that happen. Why don't you answer this prayer, Lord? Why doesn't fire come down from heaven? Good question. And he said, I felt like the Lord made something very clear in my mind. Now, he didn't hear an audible voice. Sometimes you will. He didn't feel compelled by the Spirit and pushing him along like a wave blowing a ship across the sea, like a wind blowing a ship across the sea. It's not, he just, his mind became ultra clear about something. Sometimes God does it that way. Francis Elijah was on Mount Carmel with hundreds of prophets ready to cut his head off. You're at a Christian concert. These are two completely different situations. <laughs> and then he reminded me of Acts 4. Peter and John had just been released from prison. They'd been told not to ever do this again. They go back to the body of believers. They pray for courage. And the Bible says, and the place shook. And then they went and they preached with boldness. He said, it really opened my eyes. And I thought, we so often want to experience God in a place like this. We want to experience the Holy Spirit. And we say, wait, two more songs. I almost felt it. That describes our Christian culture. Believers get together in a room hoping to experience the Spirit in there. Yet where did those in the Scriptures experience the Holy Spirit? They experienced the presence of God when they put themselves on the line. It happens when Elijah is standing on Mount Carmel and says, I know my God's the real God, and if he isn't, you can cut my head off. So Chan concludes with this. 
You want to see God answer big prayers? Do something that scares you. So that's it. It is God's business to answer or not. It is ours to pray. Pray bold, pray informed, pray God-centered. Pray big or go home. So let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this word, and it scares me to death. Because you know how conservative I am and how conservative we are as a people. And maybe, maybe this is what you planned for us. But maybe, if we would put ourselves on the line, we would see you do amazing things. And Lord, it's not as though I'm ungrateful for the things you have done in this church. I am certainly not. And I can point to many things that you have done. And we all are incredibly grateful for them. You have prospered us financially as a church. We have no debt. We have wonderful, serviceable buildings that are not a huge burden to take care of. We have a wonderful property. We have a wonderful position in this community to do good things. You have enabled us to sponsor many kinds of missions, whether it be Habitat for Humanity or Young Life or um, AnsweringIslam.org and Sommer and his work and Will and Polly and their work. You've enabled us to do all kinds of good, good, good things. And so I'm not at all trying, Lord, to discredit the things, the good things that you have done or leave them unmentioned. And we give you glory and thanks for that. We know that we are not the authors of those things. But sometimes, Lord, sometimes we know that we need to take a risk and we know that you call us to a risk. So help us. I'm praying, keep our ears open to you, our spirits alert and sensitive to you. Help us to walk in your spirit and in the willingness, however hesitantly, like that gal, Dill, to take a step of faith and say, okay, Lord, I might be embarrassed, but I'm going to go do that. Help us have the courage to pray big. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.